since you're here today, I'm operating on two assumptions, which I think are probably true for, if not everyone, 99% of the people here. First, I'm guessing that on some level that's meaningful to you, you're hoping today that you can connect to God. Would that be true for most of you? You don't have to raise your hand or anything, but I'm guessing that every person in this room, part of the reason you're here is you're hoping to connect with God. You're hoping to make a connection, to feel God's presence, to find some direction. But I'm also assuming that it's hard sometimes and that occasionally you might get stuck or need some help. Maybe you don't know where to start. Maybe you're a veteran at it, but your old approaches seem like they're stale or played out. Maybe you're really interested in connecting more with God, but something kind of holds you back, a perception about who you have to become if you're going to follow Jesus or what you might have to give up, what it might cost you. But you're here today because the thought of connecting to the ultimate, to your maker, to the transcendent, to God is attractive to you. Second, I'm assuming that you'd like to connect with other people because this room is filled with a lot of other people. And I'm assuming you might want to have a positive interaction with someone today. And maybe more than that, maybe you'd like to have a deeper connection. Maybe someone pray for you. Maybe you just have a conversation where someone lifts your spirits or tells you about what God's doing in their life or something that connects you to them in a meaningful way. You're open to and hoping to develop friendships. You don't want to do it alone, but that's not easy. And I know that's true because I, in preparing for this, I had the chance, it gives me a little extra motivation to read articles. So I was reading articles about friendship this week. And what I found out was kind of surprising to the degree that I found it out. So I read an article in the New York Post that pointed out that we are losing the ability to make new friends. According to the article, apparently... We don't know how to do that anymore. And that the evidence is that as a society, we've become incredibly awkward at meeting new people. We don't know what to do. We don't know where to start. We don't know what to say. And the thought in this article is that without an app, particularly younger people don't know what to do. So new apps are being developed that mirror dating apps like the one I found called Go Find Friends. That's the name of the app. And they're being launched to help people with online friending. This is us. I also read that there's a new hit show, which just happens to be an old show. Just a year ago, this show was pulling in 16 million viewers a week in syndication, meaning that if it was a new network show, it would be a hit. You know what that show is? Friends, you did know, from the 90s. In fact, it's so popular that Netflix was so impressed that it spent $126 million to buy the exclusive rights to a show that's 20 years old. And so I read this article, and trying to figure out why are people so into Friends again, or all of a sudden, or for the first time, because a lot of people watching Friends weren't even born when it was on TV the first time. What's going on? And the thought is, here are people sitting around in a coffee shop without any smartphones talking to each other. And there's something attractive about that. You know, maybe Chandler couldn't be any weirder in the way he stresses the words in his sentences and his quips, but at least he's paying enough attention to make those quips. 
The theme song is I'll Be There For You, and it seems maybe a little more real and attractive in that type of setting. So many of you, I think, are here today with a real hope and a desire to feel a real connection to another person. So what if those two desires, the desire to connect to God and the desire to connect with other people can work together to spark something amazing? What if? And I think on some level we know that. Maybe they can, and we want that. So we're here in a group of people in the pursuit of God. Richard Lamb wrote in his book, The Pursuit of God and the Company of Friends. <coughs> you may have to excuse me. I may cough for a little bit <coughs> and drink a little bit of tea with honey. And I may not be able to sing much when I try and lead the team later. But <coughs> anyway, Richard Lamb wrote in his book, The Pursuit of God and the Company of Friends, <coughs> which is <coughs> the inspiration for the series, really. And I'm borrowing a lot from it. <coughs> Here's what he wrote. We want to participate in the quest for the ultimate in the context of the intimate. <coughs> we want to know deeply and to be deeply known. <coughs> and that's what this sermon series is about. <coughs> Spiritual friendships. <coughs> Sorry. How we can have them and the difference they can make in our lives. So this week, we started a good place. We start with Jesus. And as you, if you remember, <coughs> over the course of Advent, <coughs> we just celebrated how Jesus, as it puts in one place of Scripture, is the exact representation of God's being. <coughs> God incarnate is what you celebrate during the season of Advent and what we remember on Christmas. So we're going to start with Jesus and the manner that he used of inviting people into deep relationship with himself a manner that is still available to us today. So, how did God make friends? Let's take a look. This is John chapter 1. It says this, and I'm going to need another cup of tea because I'm practically empty. If I can get a hero, <coughs> that would be awesome. <coughs> With honey, preferably. <laughs> not too hot, not too cold. Sprig of... Uh, rosemary <laughs> and a back rub. Okay. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two <coughs> who heard what John had said and, and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated as Peter. The next day... Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the one whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? 
Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, (coughs) Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Then he added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Thank you, Jocelyn. So, here we see Jesus, the exact representation of God's being, doing what we don't expect God to be doing, looking for friends. So what does he do? Well, he does a few simple things. First, Jesus brings together similar people in different places. Here's what I mean by similar. You'll notice it says really early on in our passage that Jesus says, I'm going to go to Galilee, which is where he's from. So Jesus is going to where he's from, to people who are familiar to him, some people who actually even know him. And when he pulls together his first 12 disciples, (coughs) you'll find if you read the whole story that two sets of disciples are brothers. So you have four people who are related to each other. And a lot of them are in the same business, even business partners, as fishermen. So they have the same accent. They come from the same part of the country. Um, if you had met them, you would, we would probably think, oh, I'll, yeah, these guys know each other. Um, they're familiar with each other. They're friends. <coughs> they're alike, except they aren't. The first two people who joined Jesus, that's John and Andrew, were, the fir- were first disciples of John the Baptist. And so they're following him. They're following John the Baptist, and they switch to following Jesus when John the Baptist points them them to Jesus. So their pursuit of God is as a seeker, looking. They're following John the Baptist. They want to find something real. They're looking for spiritual reality. Then John points them to Jesus. They switch their direction to following Jesus. They're seeking him. They're super proactive. They're following him. They're going, spending the day with him. Philip and Nathaniel are different. They aren't looking for Jesus at all. Other people come to them and tell them to check Jesus out. And they just sort of stumble into Jesus and have these eureka moments that they're not expecting and not looking for. Nathaniel is a great example. It's like, what good can come out of Nazareth, that podunk little hick town? Why would I want to spend any time with someone from there? And then lo and behold, he has this sort of prophetic experience with Jesus that changes everything. But he kind of just stumbles into it. So these are similar people, but coming from different places. And their experiences seem in line with the stories that Jesus tells about how people discover the kingdom of God. So Matthew chapter 13 Jesus tells two really short stories. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had and bought it. Now, if you notice, both of these short little parables about the kingdom of God, (coughs) the treasure in the story is the kingdom. Life with Jesus where things are working towards the way things should be. And in both stories, the treasure is found. But in the first story, it's found by a stumbler. 
who just happens upon this treasure hidden in a field. Whoa. Then he buries it again and goes and buys the field. But in the second story, it's a seeker. It's a merchant looking for fine pearls, someone who spends all their time trying to find valuable pearls. He finds it, and then he goes and sells everything he has and buys it. You know, it's interesting. That's how life can be. I remember many moons ago, <coughs> most of you probably won't know this about me because none of you have known me except after I, <coughs> after I was married. But there was a day when I was single. <laughs> and I didn't date that much. Shocker, I know. I didn't have many dates. Most of it I like to tell myself is because I was extremely picky. <laughs> and I was really focused on other things, so I was never really looking for a relationship. But I was starting to get a little bit older, and I was starting to think about it a little bit more, and I finished school and had a job, and um, I started sort of seeing this one girl. And we weren't serious or exclusive, but that was a lot for me, because I basically was infinitely more than any of the girlfriends or potential girlfriends I'd ever had in my life, practically. So we were spending together, and I think she went away for the summer. I was not looking for a relationship. I thought, all right, well, this is sticking my toe in the water. This is good enough. Well, lo and behold, I was at a wedding. And I'm not exaggerating to say that at this wedding, not looking to meet anyone, I was at the service, <coughs> and it was like this weird spotlight shone on one person. And I don't know if you have ever seen in reruns the original Star Trek series. Anyone? <laughs> I'm not expecting anyone to say first run, although I think there are a few people who might watch the first run, but just in syndication, right? On the Me Network or whatever. Whenever they would get a close-up on any of the women characters on Star Trek, they would put this filter, before people talked about filters, on the lens and make them sort of hazy and glowing. <laughs> so this girl was hazy and glowing. And lo and behold, this is Becca Smith, now Rebecca Zinn. So I wasn't looking for a girlfriend. I just sort of stumbled into the person I ended up marrying. Another time in my life, around about the same time, uh, I was a pastor of a college ministry. And uh, I was always borrowing people's guitars. I was terrible about it. I would borrow people's guitars and break their strings and give the guitar back. I would usually say sorry, but that would be about it. So people noticed how much I was bumming people's guitars. And it wasn't a giant college ministry. And obviously, <coughs> with college students and au pairs and nannies that were gathered, not a lot of extra money. But for my birthday, they thought, wouldn't it be cool to take up a collection for Brad to get his own guitar? And that's what they did. So I got the, so they, a couple people took me out. Uh, for a birthday lunch, which I thought was really nice. And they gave me this card that was signed by like 20 or 30 people with like 450 bucks in it. Wow, this is October. So I start looking for a guitar. Next thing you know, it's March. And I'm still looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. And finally, someone says, Brad, are you ever going to buy a guitar? Um, and it was a good question. I realized, yeah, I really should do this. Like, these people did this really nice thing. But I was just seeking and looking and looking. And finally, a friend came to me, and he said, look, I have this invite-only invitation to this shop called Guitar Works, which was the nicest guitar shop in my old 
city of Evanston, Illinois. Take this and go in there. And so I did. And that was what I needed because then I found practically the guitar of my dreams at the price I could handle. And I bought a guitar. It was awesome. So what matters about this? Why am I telling you this story? Well, what matters here, I think, takes us back to my first assumption this morning that we want to connect with God, that we want the kingdom, but sometimes it seems hard to find the kingdom of God. It seems like a parable we can't crack. And when it's hard, and here's what I, I want us to hear, if you're a seeker, you often need a stumbler in your life. And if you're a stumbler, you often need a seeker. You see, seekers keep stumblers from getting complacent. You know, at one point, I forgot to tell you, <coughs> so I saw this filtered Becca Zinn, not Zinn at the time, and I went back home. I was living with three other guys. I talked to my friend John. I was like, you know, what do I do here? I've sort of started spending some time with this one girl, and that was enough, but now I, the last thing, I'm not the kind of guy that's going to have two girlfriends or something like that. That's just not, I, I could not handle that, <laughs> nor would that be cool. So... I, my friend John said, I think you need to go for it with this filtered woman. <laughs> and so I was a stumbler who needed someone to give me a push. With my guitar, I was a seeker, man. I could have looked for the perfect guitar for 30 years and never got one. I needed someone to say, look, you need to make a move. You need to make a decision now. Get a guitar. People are talking. You see, seekers keep stumblers from getting complacent, and stumblers help seekers stop seeking and appreciate God in their midst. The second thing Jesus does is he brings together different people sharing the same space. Not everyone that Jesus collected into his like core of 12 people that followed him everywhere, that were his disciples, came from the same background. In fact, some came from incredibly different backgrounds. So we learned that one of his followers, Matthew, uh, was a tax collector. And Jesus goes by his booth, and he invites Matthew to follow him. Well, that's interesting. We also find out that there's a second disciple named Simon, who's not called Peter. He's Simon the Zealot. Zealots were people of the day that were trying to overthrow the Roman occupation of Israel. So he's an anti-government radical, and Matthew is someone working for the government, collecting taxes. Like, the two extremes of the spectrum. One could be viewed as a total sellout, the other person's trying to flip the whole thing. What do you do with that? It's kind of like, now listen to me, if Jesus recruited Steve Bannon and Bernie Sanders to follow him. Minds blown. That's what Jesus does. He gets people that you would never think in a million years could be on the same team, could work together, could learn together, could love each other for a myriad of reasons. There were lots of reasons to think that Matthew was an immoral person, a sellout. There are lots of reasons to think that Simon the Zealot was an immoral person who may have been involved in some activities that got people hurt. 
Think about that. Who of those two do you think is out of bounds? Because Jesus opened the door to both. And they were both better for it. And they grew. And they developed and they changed. And they ended up changing the world for the better. And to pursue God, it seems that we need people who are different from us in all sorts of ways. I feel like I'm talking about one era of my life today, but as I was prepping for the sermon, I remember when I was an 18, 19, 20-year-old guy working as a security monitor at the chapel at my school. And I didn't know much about life. Uh, I view a lot of things a lot differently now than I did then. But there was another guy that worked there named Roy. Roy was the custodian. And I worked evenings, and he would clean uh, the building at night and take care of different maintenance types of things. And I don't even remember how, but Roy and I uh, would find ourselves talking for 20, 30, 40, 45 minutes uh, when our schedules would line up. And I don't know exactly what Roy got out of it. I think I used to encourage him with my naive enthusiasm. And I was a charismatic guy, so I would pray for him for anything. If he had a sniffle, I'm like, Roy, can I pray for you? Or anything going on in his life. And I think he really appreciated that. And I think the excitement and passion that I had encouraged his own faith. For me, I know exactly what I got out of it. One of the things. And, and Roy would always, Roy, we were from different backgrounds. Like, so I'm from small town Illinois. Uh, Roy immigrated from Belize like 20 or 30 years earlier. But one thing I, I got from him was he was so generous to the point that people would take advantage of it. They knew if they asked Roy for help, he would help them, and he would. And a lot of times I'd hear stories how people wouldn't say thank you. I remember one time, it was a day like today, and we were talking. He came, he was so angry. I said, Roy, why are you so angry? He's like, well, a few weeks ago, um, I don't even think it was a relative. I think it was just a friend who had recently immigrated from Belize, and he was trying to help, help him out. And he, his friend had gotten a job but needed a car to get to work. So Roy bought him a car, a custodian at Northwestern University. I don't know how much money he made, but I don't think it was a lot. And that day, a cold day like today, Roy was walking to work. And he saw his friend in the car, and his friend honked and waved and kept going. And he's like, I'm so hot. And I, I don't want to even try and do his accent. I don't think I do it justice. But he's like, and he's like, and it was so cold, man. It is so cold out here. And that doesn't sound like a great story, but it was incredibly inspiring to me because he kept giving. And he had an impact in people's lives. We were very different, but I think we needed each other. I think we learned from each other. I don't know if he learned anything from me, but I think I encouraged him as a 19-year-old punk who liked to pray for everything. You know, Jesus would later say, by this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. How could this possibly be true that everyone would know we are his disciples if everyone that we loved was just like us? And it's sort of like, oh, big deal. You love all those people that look and act and believe all the things that you do. Big deal. 
But when conservatives love liberals, when Democrats love Republicans, when people from different ethnicities and social and economic backgrounds love each other, now there's something to take notice of. Now we can start to see God. You know, in the coming year, let's just take this to heart. It's the beginning of the year. This is the first non-New Year sermon. When someone believes something you can't believe, or you can't believe that they believe what they do, or when someone comes from a place unfamiliar to you, or when someone just simply annoys you with their way of being, know that that is a sign that Jesus is at work. How amazing is it that you're in the same community? Hallelujah. Thank God they're here. Why? Well, the so that is this. We all reach our full stature. I love this verse in Ephesians 4. It's my favorite verse about community. It's in our members class and everything. Starting, this is just like a little snippet of it, though. In verse 11, it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, and this is the big phrase, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The whole measure of of the fullness of Christ, every good thing that God has for you, the full measure, every dream that you were created to fulfill. In other translations, it's called the full stature of the fullness of Christ. That's a big deal. So what I want to do is give you three images to take with you to help you understand how this could happen. The first is about potential. Now, I read a story this week about Michelangelo, um, who, you know, in the late 1400s was in Florence, and there's this giant piece of marble that was flawed that no one wanted to work on because it had a big flaw in it, and they were afraid that it would break and they wouldn't be able to create what they wanted to create. And he took it, and in four years, he fashioned it into the David, maybe the most famous statue in the world, and perhaps the most remarkable. And Michelangelo said this about the process of sculpting marble. He said, in every block of marble, I see a statue as plain as though it stood before me, shaped and perfect in attitude and action. I have only to hew away the rough walls that imprison the lovely apparition to reveal it to the other eyes as mine see it. I think what we see here is an illustration of what the full measure or the full stature or the fullness of Christ can be in your life. It's on the level of Michelangelo's David. But usually it's also encased in marble that needs to be hewn away. The idea being that each one of us is a potential masterpiece waiting to be revealed. And God uses other people in our lives to hew away the rough walls that imprison our full stature in Christ. Could be mentors. Could be parents. Could be friends. Diverse people around us. Well, here's the problem. 
the diverse people around us probably aren't as skilled as Michelangelo, and it doesn't always necessarily work so smoothly. So let that be your image of potential, but let's talk a little bit about process. I think process is usually a little bit more like a tumbler. Do you know what a tumbler is? A tumbler is this thing that you throw rough rocks into, and then you set it tumbling for hours and hours. And what happens is the rocks, they bounce off of each other. They knock off the rough edges. That's the first thing that happens. So if you check, you'll see, oh, the, some of the rough edges are gone. But if you let it go long enough, the stones actually polish each other. And they become beautiful and even uh, worthy of being put on a brooch or a piece of jewelry or worn around your arms or your necks. They become beautiful, maybe not gems, but stones. I think this is what we often see as we bounce off of people who are different from us. If we hang in there long enough, it's not just that the sharp edges come off, but we actually can become polished and beautiful in a way that we couldn't if we just stayed a rock on our own or avoided sort of the tumbler experience of connecting with and engaging with people who are different than us. I like that image. But one thing I don't like about it is um, the stones are small and beautiful, but they don't make me think of David. I think there's more than us just knocking each other around until we grow a little bit. I think there's this element of us empowering each other, building each other up. Last week, we looked at Barnabas. That was a big thing for him. Barnabas was always lifting people higher than himself. And so if Michelangelo is an example of potential and the tumbler is an example of a process, I want to leave you with the hope of the Spirit. And maybe we can most understand how the Spirit works in community with an image that often, I think, has been used uh, as a warning. But I think that's short-sighted. You know, sometimes I've heard the analogy of an ember, us, every one of us being an ember. It's like, hey, don't be an ember out on your own because you need to be connected to other embers so you can have a big fire. I think, yeah, but where's the potential? Like, Let's think of an ember alone versus the flame of a stack of wood or coals. And what the stack allows is not just to feel the heat of another ember, but it pulls in the wind or the spirit to supercharge the briquettes or the wood around it, building a flame that's consuming and powerful the full measure of what it should be. So we're not just spending time with each other, trying to knock each other around and grow up. Coming together has the effect of drawing in the spirit, of experiencing God who he really is. There's potential there. There's beauty there. So yes, interacting with people that are different from you is powerful because it does shape you, polish you. But it also sucks in the wind of the spirit and everything that comes with that. So let's, let's wrap up the sermon today. I want to just give you some things to reflect on. So what I want you to do, I actually want you to just close your eyes. This isn't going to be an intense like meditation, but I think if you close your eyes, you might be able to picture things in your mind's eye that will help you. Now, some of these questions will be more helpful to you than others. So if I ask a couple and doesn't no light bulbs go off, that's fine. Wait for the next, wait for the next. 
and vice versa. So what I want you to do, first, I want you to take an inventory of your friendships in your life right now. And ask yourself, what ways you make choices to either give priority to deepening friendships or to allow barriers to slow their growth and their significance? What are the choices you're making now? Is it feeding into building deeper relationships or pulling you out? Second, Think about the people in your life who relate to God differently than you do. Try to identify ways that those people can help you grow in your understanding of and love for God. And also try to identify ways that your friendships help you grow. What are these friends good at that you need to learn? Think about that. Think about your friends again. Inventory your friendship patterns along race and ethnicity lines. How can you make choices to broaden your circle of friends? And finally, how do you see yourself in the context of a tumbler being changed for the better by the sometimes uncomfortable and painful process of rubbing up against other people with whom you're also in pursuit of God with. Take time to thank God for your fellow tumbler stones. Let's pray. God, we just want to thank you um, for the opportunity that's before us, even just in this room, the different people and the different relationships that are possible. I pray that this year, one of my prayers is a special blessing on our whole church to be able to build deep and meaningful connections and friendships. I pray that you would grease the wheels with your spirit. I pray that uh, where we feel awkward making new connections, you'd help us have just enough courage to be awkward and get past that hump. And I pray that this time next year, we'll be able to look back at what you've done in terms of relationships in our lives with Thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you're on the worship team, please make your way up here. Also, um, we have a team that prays before the service, and I want to invite the representatives from the prayer team to come forward. Often they'll have things that could be specific to your life or your situation, and I want you to hear those so that you can respond. morning. We on? So the prayer team was praying this morning and we had a couple things. One was a sort of image of a flower that was growing through a thick layer of snow and it was actually blooming. We prayed into that and kind of like asked God what that was about. We felt like it was about God calling out like renewal and life even when circumstances don't seem like good for that, um, and specifically God calling things that are not into what they 
par or what they can be. It felt like it was about new beginnings, which is relevant here in the new year. Uh, we also got a sense that anyone, I've gone